This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Trying to put on the show. Don't call it a comeback. Because they have been here all year, or at least most of it. The Seattle Mariners win their second straight game in Texas. They've now run off a string of what they won six of their previous seven games. They've got an afternoon opportunity to sweep the the Texas Rangers, who have been a a pesky little gnat for them this year. And Mm. don't look now, but they're creeping up on one of those wildcard playoff spots and even getting a little closer to the division-leading Houston Astros. Yeah, can you believe that? As just about everybody ahead of them in the American League outside of the New York Yankees, is having some serious issues with winning baseball games these days. They've been doing it, Danny, with some incredible starting pitching of late. And most recently, it's Marco Gonzalez on the hill last night. Not dominant, but five and a third, no runs allowed. And it's more of the same from him in particular. But this starting rotation since the beginning of the month has really been quite awesome outside of Sunday's performance by Logan Gilbert against Toronto. It's been probably the single most surprising thing over the course of this season because given the injuries that they've suffered among those starters to start the year, James Paxton, Margovichus, uh, Newsom. It's really Sheffield. it's really incredible. Marco Gonzalez was out for a month. Mm-hmm. Now you've got Justin Dunn and Justice Sheffield who aren't in the rotation, and, and they're surviving by pitching. They're also surviving with their defense. The, the defense has been the single most enduring strength of this team, specifically the infield defense. Their bullpen was great the first half of the year. The bullpen's been good again recently. Their starting pitching has been awesome in the month of August. The defense has been good all year long. Yeah, now you see Abraham Toro actually playing pretty good defense at second base. Maybe that's an option for second base. Maybe somebody moves to third base that's not named Abraham Toro in a post-Kyle Seeger world, which we think might happen next year. And by the way, that's been the biggest, most reliable guy for the Mariners' offense of late. Kyle Seeger's been getting run batted in after run batted in and had a home run and a double last night. He clobbers Texas. And it's it's the one thing. It doesn't matter what ballpark it's in. He he clobbers the Rangers. Like he goes down into Arlington, and he just wails away on him. And whether it was last night, and and the and the home run and the double that he had, whether it was the the night before, he he has always clobbered Texas. It's been enough. They've made it hold up. It's not necessarily comfortable. It's no. not. It, it it it's kind of these excruciating. And last night you saw it. I also want to give a shout out to the way that Scott Service manages his bullpen. Last night he brought in his best reliever is Paul Seawald. He brought in Seawald in the eighth inning because you were facing what two, three, and four in the in the Texas lineup. He brought them in, and then you have Steckenrider finish it out. I, I've always loved the idea of using your best reliever in your toughest situation. It's never made sense to me to use your closer only in the ninth inning. You should use your best reliever to get the most difficult three outs after your starter leaves the game. And by the way, the bullpen, I mean, it was a complete effort. It was, it was everybody, not just Seawald who came in there, but this is right now – about as good as a team can pitch. And, I mean, outside of maybe some little moments with Diego Castillo where you feel a bit uncomfortable, top to bottom, it's been something else. And You're right in that service is taking things unconventionally with the bullpen, but that's something that we heard would be the case going into this year, too. 
and they've stayed true to that all season, despite having some guys who clearly are better than the rest. And Seawald right now is the holdover, with Kendall Graveman, of course, getting shipped off at the trade deadline. The Mariners, when this week started, I think their their uh, percentage chance of making the playoffs, according to baseball reference, was 1.4. They're up to 4.1%. Huzzah! They are up to 4.1%. So Multiplied we're saying by three. there is a chance. That they're, 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 we're saying there is a chance, and here's Scott Service talking about the, the little team that thinks it could. Earlier today, uh, I did an MLB radio spot. They let off, I think it was Mike Farron said, he called us the, uh, the team that thinks it can. And that's kind of what we are, you know. Uh, it's not like we just had a bunch of guys out there trying hard. We really believe uh, in each other and what they're doing. And it's it's a good good group uh, that loves to compete and work, come to work every day. And uh, I enjoy being around this group. It's absolutely the, the most fun I've had managed any of the years that I've been here in Seattle just because of the attitude that they show up with every day. And you see personalities start to grow and blossom and confidence coming from young players. Uh, it's a really good feeling. And Nice to win these games and and see it continue to grow. You can see why service feels this way. I mean, we go back to that piece that Ryan Divish had out in the Seattle Times, which I think was probably an accurate reflection of how the Mariners were feeling after that Kendall Graveman trade. And it has been something completely in the rearview mirror. And honestly, with the way that some of the details in that article came to light, you might have thought to yourself, all right, it's a young baseball team. Are they going to be able to find a way to get through all of these things? They have. I mean, honestly... It feels like with every little moment where you start to question, okay, are they going to be able to keep this up? That was a pretty difficult thing that they just went through, like that series against San Diego. And they toughen up after every single one of these, which I can see why someone would want to manage this team. Even if there are some struggles at the plate, they show up to work, they pitch, they play defense, they don't screw up. Mention the percentage chance. And that is something that is done and calculated by baseball reference. And it's, it's based on a couple of different things. Strength of schedule remaining. It's also based on the statistical projection of what, what you've done so far. Based on, based on your performance so far, runs scored, runs allowed, the defense that you've played, the, the slugging that you have, like all of those different things that go into that. It projects how likely it thinks it is. So right now, the Toronto Blue Jays have a better chance than the than the New York Yankees of making the playoffs, according to Baseball Reference. Even though the Yankees are ahead of them, it's not based on win loss record. It seems like run differential weighs heavily there because the Toronto Blue Jays have a plus one eighteen run differential, which is second in the American League. Uh, check that; it is fourth in the American League. But when it comes to the wild card standings, that is blowing everybody else out of the water. So I'm guessing that's why they have such a high percentage. But it's a it's winning games, right? Like that's that's what that's what determines whether or not teams make the playoffs. And the Mariners are exactly the type of team that aren't going to look good in mathematical projections. The Mariners in the way that they've won, their record in extra innings games, their 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 record in close games are exactly the type of team and this kind of gets to one of the what I would consider deeper questions about sports. Do you ever have situations where the total of a team is greater than the sum of its parts? Is is a team that sort of survives by the skin of its teeth is that fluky, or 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 is that a trait? Is that is that something that you can you you can can replicate and be able to count on that this team's got toughness, that their ability to get up off the mat after that three game series in San Diego, like all of those different things, that 
that's that's you can't count it up in a statistic statistical model, but it's going to make the difference because if that's the case, these Mariners have a much better chance than one in twenty of making the playoffs. You don't feel that way, I would say, over a multiple year stretch, but over the course of a single season, you can see it. We, we see it in the NFL a lot. I, I I would imagine in twenty twelve there was probably that sense with the Seahawks in that okay, they're a young team, they're building towards something. Maybe they're not where they need to be, but they are perhaps a little bit tougher than you would have really expected them to be with some of the games that they were winning that season too, whether it was the first one, the flukish game or the game against new England as the season went along Chicago too. In 2012 though, they went on a stretch where they scored 150 points over three weeks. Okay. Like they (laughs) entered, they, they entered the playoffs on this, this sort of tidal wave of momentum. The, 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 the switch had flipped Maybe that'll happen with the Mariners, and maybe they are similar in the sense that they've gotten to this point of just hanging around, just hanging around, and then that that young team kind of gets over the hill or the wave breaks. Like, there's lots of different metaphors, like that it's been hard work, hard work, and that usually does happen with young teams where there's this breakthrough moment and then nothing's ever the same again. Jared Kelnick's hitting 350 and he belts six home runs over a span of nine games, like something like that, which is which is what happened to the Seahawks in 2012. Maybe they are building toward that. Or maybe this is a team that is just so freaking tough that you're never going to be able to put them down. They're so that they're 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 the serial killer in the (laughs) in the horror movie. They're Jason Voorhees. They're Michael Myers. No matter what you do, you're not going to be able to put them down. That's what it's been of late. I suppose the most recent baseball comparison would be the 2014 Kansas City Royals. You take a look at it and you're like, what? But there they were, and they kept winning, and they did beat uh, a young Houston team and a Baltimore team that in that season was actually thought to be a pretty good team. It's weird to think of Baltimore having that. So it's possible, certainly. I remain having a tough time buying into it 100%, but... If they keep this up, I mean, I might be the last guy in the room that's saying, eh, I'm not sure about this one. I'm on board. 100% on board. Let's go. Dare to Dream Express, <laughs> Express piloted by the Gras. It's time for front page news. This, this is the front page brought to you by Dubin Law Group. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. Get ready for a really sane and normal reaction from the text line. (laughs) Governor Jay Inslee specified yesterday that public school educators from K-12 to and also on up to the university ranks, that those employees who work at public schools, coaches, teachers, are going to have to be vaccinated. He is mandating a vaccine unless you have a religious or medical exemption. Specifically, this is going to apply to Nick Rolovich who is the Washington State head coach, who has indicated he will not, does not plan to get vaccinated, has not specified why, and basically said he won't go into it further than that. I did see uh, a statement from Washington State's athletic department saying that they were fully supportive of, of the governor's declaration. It would seem to me that Nick Rolovich is probably facing a choice about whether he's going to continue in his job as Washington State coach or to decide that he is going to remain unvaccinated unless he does have a medical or religious exemption, which if that's the case, he has not indicated that yet. Right. And this is different than in other states where even in California, you do have generally an alternative of regular testing. 
here it is you get fired and would you really want to take the stand as someone who has never coached at a power five school for the entirety of a regular season and say yeah I'm not going to do this because at least from the looks of things you would get fired for this it seems like a really silly way to use a job, lose a job that would pay you $3 million. I that's that's my perspective on the outside looking in. That seems like a really silly way to lose l- lose a job uh, over over something like that. I have lots of thoughts that I don't want to dive into. I'm with you on that. You have finally gotten a job at a Power 5 school, and this is the way that it is. Whether it's fair or unfair, this is the decision that you are now you have to take on. And it seems like the university is not going to decide to say, no, we're seceding and joining Idaho or something like that. They're they're backing uh, the, the mandate that was put out there. The front page. I'm not even going to look at the text line after that one. Hey, Russell Wilson is the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And he is somebody who probably wants to see starting left tackle Dwayne Brown end his hold in. Yesterday, he was asked about Dwayne Brown yet again. Here's what he had to say. Well, I think anytime Dwayne's not out there, you know, it's, uh, yes, you know, you, you always want your, your star left tackle out there, you know. Um, you know, so, you know, just trusting the process, hoping that it, it, it works out, you know, because we, we definitely need him. That, that'd be huge for us. Um, he's been one of the best in the game, obviously, but I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll get figured out and worked out. You know, that's what I'm hoping for and, and, and wanting. It doesn't sound like he's putting a lot of pressure on the Seahawks where, about a week ago, some people said that Russell Wilson would be willing to take a pay cut, not just for Jamal Adams, but for who? Dwayne Brown, too. Who, who said that? Uh, the, the the media. No, they weren't saying pay cut. That's a, that's the other thing. People say pay cut. It's a restructured Restructure. contract. It, My bad. It means that you get get your money quicker in direct deposit. Like, that's the <laughs> always thing. Oh, I'll make this sacrifice. You don't make it a sacrifice. <laughs> hey, if I was Russ, I'd do this, too. If yep. you're a player... Why would you not want other players to get paid a ton? Why do you care about their future salary cap space or flexibility of spending? I mean, I guess a quarterback would be the one that you'd be like, eh, I don't know if I want to. But no, if you're a player, you always want them spending that money now. Why? Because salary cap space down the road might not benefit you at all. And that's why we see in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers saying, sign Clay Matthews. <laughs> or perhaps next we'll see, you know, Red Grange... He never really got the deal that he totally deserved back in the 1930s when he was playing for the Packers. This culture is unacceptable. Brian Gutekunst, figure it out. Gutekunst wasn't alive then. That is front page news. This is Danny and Glant. Now we've got the professor, John Clayton, joining us for the morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything NFL, NFL from the professor, John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor, with Jamal Adams now under contract, do you expect the Seahawks to change their stance in any way with Dwayne Brown, or do you expect this hold-in to continue? No, I would have to anticipate they try to get something done, because why not? I mean, it's like uh, <laughs> we already know that, uh, particularly with the Andrew Whitworth deal uh, from a couple years ago, uh, when you're talking about a 36-, 37-year-old offensive lineman, and, of course, uh, Brown's heading toward 36, that it's not going to be much more money. I mean, it's going to be probably $10 million. And, you know, they save, you know, 
over $4 million of cap room on Jamal Adams because, you know, he comes in with a $20 million signing bonus of $1 million base. And, you know, so you pay him $10 million. Uh, you, you spread it out with the voids and stuff like that to even lower the cap number more because one thing you know, nobody brings up, which I think is now, un, you know, you can understand it because everything was all concentrating on Jamal Adams. What do you do with Quandre Diggs? Because Extend him. Agreed. Because, I mean, he's making $6.2 million. How much can he make? Because obviously he's not going to make seventeen five. but you got two Pro Bowl safeties. But you know how important it is to have a great free safety in this defense with Earl Thomas and from the past. And Quandre Diggs goes out and he makes plays. So it's like, okay, so you do something with uh, Dwayne and you come back and you get Diggs. And then I don't know what you do after that. But I'd have to think they have to get something done just from the standpoint that it's like, okay, you can take the position. I, you know, he's older. He'd probably be preferable to do something after the season. But why mess it up? I mean, you want to win this year. And it's like you win with the chance to have your best left tackle out there. So I'd have to say, you know, give him some kind of a one or two year deal, $10 million a year. And because, uh, again, that's what, you know, Andrew Whitworth got when he did the three year deal a couple years ago. It'll be this is a delicate one. The Dwayne Brown thing is tough. I, Jamal Adams is is a pretty easy decision in that the Seahawks wanted to extend him. The only question mm-hmm. was what sort of how how hard a line Jamal Adams was going to draw in in trying to really break the bank. Dwayne Brown is a tougher decision. It's a tougher decision for Seattle because of the age, and I think they're hoping to be able to navigate their way through this, but this isn't as easy as the Jamal decision, which is like, of course you want to extend him. With Dwayne, there's a lot of different things involved. I I still wonder about that because, again, it's like, uh, I mean, you see it particularly in a division like this. I mean, you know, Trent Williams isn't all all of a sudden that young. I mean, you know, they they gave him See, he left practice the other day? They got to be a little worried about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, again, it's like he's older. I mean, you got Andrew Whitworth who's uh, what going to be 38 39 years old and he's going to retire after this season but I, I look at it the same way as Andrew Woodworth it's like if you have some football still left in you you know pay for that football uh, and so I would have to think that uh, and again unless he's going to be greedy about it uh, you know because again you, you you see how the deals are going to be done I mean you save some cap room that cap room can be used on Quandre Diggs and then you come back and you do it that way so I think that uh, that that takes care of you know a lot of your stuff that you want to do because remember they've got Michael Dixon done this offseason they got Tyler Lockett done this offseason you know uh, you know they've made some big moves they got the deal done with Jamal Adams and so it's like okay and then you see what's still going to be left because I know that as John Snyder said you know with uh, before they got the Jamal Adams deal done they had 21 free agents at the end of the season. Now they're down to 20, but let's get it down to 19 with Dwayne uh, Brown getting done. If if by chance something doesn't happen with Dwayne Brown, maybe the Seahawks can scrounge up a bunch of Bitcoin and go and get Russell Okung, John. Nah, I don't uh, think so. I, I mean, it's like... Uh, Dogecoin? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, he, he's... <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, well, the funny part is, is like, uh, and again, we've made this discussion, and I know that uh, Paul doesn't agree with me, but if Dwayne Brown was on the open market, uh, he's not going to get ten million dollars a year. Uh, when you look at the, 
you know, like Russell Okung, I mean, he still thinks right now he can get $7 million. Oh, really? In, yeah, yeah, seven. He's not getting seven. He's, he's not, not getting no, seven. No, he's not getting he seven, might, yeah. Because, I mean, it's might like, be able to get three. Yeah, three I'll, million, and I'm not sure if he can get that in Bitcoin. That just might have to no, be straight cash. Homie. Agreed, I don't think agreed. we're going to give him it in crypto. Yeah, because, again, it's like, you know, Alejandro Villanueva. I know he went to Baltimore from left tackle in Pittsburgh at the age of 33 to right tackle. I mean, he got two years, nine million. So it's like he didn't even get five million dollars, and so uh, you know Bitcoin Russell, uh, he's he's holding out for seven, and he's not going to get seven. I got you. I, I do have to say though, I think Dwayne Brown's way better than those guys, oh, right? I agree. Yeah, but again, it's like uh, you know, I, I I know an agent told me the other day, oh yeah, he can get twelve, but uh, I, I I question that on the open market right now because again, this market for older players is not good. It's brutal. Ask KJ Wright. Yeah. Is he, is he going to get – do you think he's playing week one, John? Mm, I wouldn't question – I mean, I don't doubt it. I mean, there's still plenty of time. I mean, guys are still signing as we speak, older older players and all that stuff. Now, again, I don't know what premium he wants to put on his salary, but, uh, I mean, you can see that if he's going to play, it's going to be, you know, 2 or $3 million on a one-year deal. That may not be satisfactory, but, you know – uh, that's why I think it's so important to get Dwayne Brown done because it still leaves the option open. If you need to get KJ right back, you can do it. We saw yesterday, John coming out of bears. Number one quarterback, Andy Dalton, Justin Fields is going to have a great career, but it's my team now. I don't know if this is the kind of declaration I would want to be making. If I'm Andy Dalton, regardless of Justin Fields, the injury he might have and anything else, I feel like, he is definitely going to be fighting an uphill battle to keep that job and to keep his time this time right now. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, he, he spoke out again saying, hey, I'm the starting quarterback of this team. And uh, I know that uh, the coach tends to agree with him. In fact, today I know that Matt Nagy said that he's going to put him out there for a quarter, quarter and a half in the game on this week. And so it's like uh, it's going to happen. But, you know, Justin Fields, you know, here, here's my concern about Justin Fields. And we've seen this with you know Russell Wilson, you know, because both quarterbacks try to make plays and they hold on to the ball too long. For example, Russell Wilson held on to the ball 2.97 seconds last year. Justin Fields at Ohio State, 2.95. And my worry is that, you know, Russell keeps himself in such good shape when it's training and all that stuff that he hasn't missed a game because of injury. Well, here's Justin Fields. I mean, in his first game, he gets a slight groin injury. Now, he apparently is now through that, and he's going to practice today and be able to play this week. But I, I don't know if Justin Fields can hold up with that offensive line. Think about who their offensive line starters are. They've got Jason Peters, who's now 39 years old. 39. 39. And uh, Elijah Wilkinson, who's an undrafted free agent from a couple years ago. You want to put it with a with a bad guard situation and a questionable center, you're going to put out Justin Fields in week one and leave him to that? I mean, he's already gotten hurt once. He can get hurt again. But Russell Wilson thought that there must be a good offensive line based off of the list of teams that he put out for a trade. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that was his agent. <laughs> Professor, we always appreciate it. We will catch up with you to wrap up the week tomorrow. All right, sounds good. That is John Clayton. You can hear him this afternoon with Wyman and Bob. Seahawks training camp continues. Our coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We got a mountain of a man who's joining us next. Gabe Jackson, our Seahawks player spotlight straight ahead.
You're listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Got a text to the Mac and Jacks text line. We're waiting on uh, Gabe Jackson, Seahawks guard, who is going to join us. When the Mariners make their wild card berth, I like the optimism for 2-5. Who gets the start? Who'd you roll out there for that? Ooh. With the way he's pitching recently, I would probably say Marco. I, I agree with you. And it's kind of like, because I like Marco's Eye of the Tiger, too. Like, I don't have any question about the level of intensity that you would get from him. Optimally, like a year from now, I think I would say Logan Gilbert. Mm-hmm. But Gilbert's been struggling recently, so I can't say him. Here's how I see it. Kikuchi's had the best overall season. Gilbert's got the highest upside. But Marco's the guy who's sort of focused that I trust the most in this specific moment. Yeah, and with, with Kikuchi, I still have concerns over that start that he had against the Yankees where it looked like he didn't want it, you know? And it, it just felt in that start like he was a little more nervous than he needed to be about those New York bats. There's there's times he nibbles. And yeah. that's de- that was definitely more true two years ago. And I don't know if it's a sense of being timid or not being fully confident in his stuff. I'm not I'm not sure if there's even a difference between those two things, but there's times that you'll see him nibble where you're like, man, come on, trust your stuff. Go after dudes. Yeah, and it's not always happening. I think he has gotten back on the right track. It is an interesting question, though, because, I mean, they're at a point right now where I have been going back and forth in my head with, do they actually have a starting rotation that could win them a series. Forget the offense. Let's put the offense to the side. Is that starting rotation good enough for them to win a five-game series? I mean, I I think so. I think so. Yes, it is. The problem is they're just going to have to score runs. And in a one-game playoff, I'm also curious as to how they would handle that. I mean, because you have all these really good starting pitchers. Like, I don't think any of them are great, but you have a lot of good ones, but you also have a lot of good relievers. Like, how how would you manage that, too? So Gonzalez comes in, all right, what do you go, five innings or something like that with him, and then who comes in next? Is it is it Seawald? <laughs> Just because Seawald's so good in that spot? I mean, these are good options to have. This is this is not, I think, like a like some sort of difficult question where it's, it's, it's bad to answer it in one way or another. Three texts came in. Why aren't we talking about Flexen? Because he's so, he's so understated and he's easy to I know. get, even though he's Statistically, he's the best. If yeah. I said Gilbert's upside is the best— Kikuchi's had the best stuff this season. I love Marco's tenacity. Flexen's statistically been the best, and it's not particularly close. Flexen is not particularly close. If you're asking for the who's had the best season of any of their starters, like Chris Flexen's consistency from start to finish, he's he's been the best. Apologies for the Houston reference, but going back to 2015, there was a Mariner, or there was an Astros pitcher named Colin McHugh who didn't have the best stuff. But he had a ton of wins, and it was sort of the same kind of deal as with Chris Flexen, where you expected essentially the same thing out of him every single start. Never anything dominant, but that kind of consistent, all right, three runs or less every single outing. You've also been getting that out of Tyler Anderson of late, too. I don't know if I'm going to put him into that conversation, but he has looked, I think, really good, all things considered. I expected nothing out of him when he came here outside of, all right, he's, he fills five innings, four runs or less. Like, that's all I was hoping for, and he's been better than that. He was like, you don't have a, a, a good fifth starter, and he's he's certainly a solid fifth starter. He's he's kind of been like your ideal fourth or third yeah. starter, where like every game he goes out, you know he's going to pitch five innings. He's going to be consisting. 
have a rock, paper, scissors tournament with all the pitchers. <laughs> Rochambeau. Why not? We are waiting on Gabe Jackson to join us. Seattle's offensive line, it started out as last season's biggest surprise. It became this offseason's biggest concern. Right now, with Dwayne Brown holding in, not practicing, it's probably the biggest question mark. But Gabe Jackson, he's he's their most important acquisition of the offseason, right? Like, they traded for him, and it's not it's not what they gave up to get him. It's the salary that they agreed to take on with him, that they, they, they decided this was a significant upgrade at guard for them. And he's that, that's a really important part of not just this season, but probably the future going forward with Russell Wilson. They feel very good about him. I, I do wonder why the Raiders moved on from him. But not just him, but like their entire offensive line this offseason. It's weird considering where I think the Raiders believe themselves to be. Two words. Tom Cable. So in the preseason opener... I ended up watching for the first three quarters the Raiders telecast, which which was fairly brutal. Like Matt Millen was the the color commentator on there, and just the the amount of Raiders sucking up. But hearing them talk about their offensive line, hearing them talk about their offensive line and how all those guys are the inexperience and the I was I started getting flashbacks where I was like I was actually like having chills because I was like oh I've heard that entire thing before. I've heard that entire thing before. And Seattle, having moved on from that and having a veteran group and having a veteran group that they can really, really rally around is one of the things that's been that it's been super important. This should be a strength. It should be solidified. It should have gotten better going into this season. No doubt. Right guard, you got Gabe Jackson. You're moving Damian over to the left side. You do wonder what's going on at center. But this unit has been getting better. And then, yeah, you make a big trade like this. This is hopefully the finishing touch. Gabe Jackson joins us now. He's from Seahawks Training Camp. Our coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Gabe, first of all, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, man. It's a beautiful morning. Well, we're glad to have you here, and we're thankful for you joining us. And one of the first things, this has to be like a nice weather change for for training camp. I, I'm In Oakland, it probably wasn't too bad. But last year, Las Vegas, I don't know how much of it was outside. But this is... What I've heard from guys when they come here for their first training camp in Seattle is, like, the weather's really nice because it's pretty mild. Oh, man, yeah, it's been great, man. Uh, it's been hot a couple of days, and some of the guys say it's the hottest it, it's been here for a while. But uh, I mean, I'm from the south, so I'm used to the heat. One of the things that I think is most difficult to figure out in the NFL, Gabe, is how an offensive line creates chemistry. What's the biggest key to all of those guys being able to work together as a unit, especially since you're a new guy coming into this offensive line? Uh, It's a constant grind, man. Just every day you're working your craft and you're getting to know the person next to you, your your fits, and um, just, you know, coaching points and what each each guy like, you know, and um, also just picking each other's mind, like what you thinking on this player, what you thinking on this kind of combination block, and um, just keep building off of it. With Pete Carroll, he's known to have a celebrity uh, storm into his video conferences from time to time. Is there anything that's caught you, caught you off guard or surprised you about about what it's like playing for Pete's team? Uh, not yet. Uh, the only thing was every day he just you know he's very energetic and he it's no dying down and he he comes come with the energy every day and bring it every day. Um, and I've I've heard like that uh, that he's like that every day. So that that's a good thing. I know every single offensive lineman enjoys a pancake block, and I know at guard you get a lot more opportunities potentially for that. But what's the best thing to do as an offensive lineman when you're pass blocking? 
Is there one thing that stands out where you afterwards say, yeah, I got that guy good? Uh, <laughs> just don't let him get to the quarterback. That's the best feeling. Uh, I mean, anything else is extra, but uh, that's the main thing. Just don't let him get to the quarterback. What's the personality like in your guys' offensive line room? It's usually, and John Schneider said this before the GM, that on the, the good teams that he's been on, that is, that is one of the, the, the most cohesive, most solid rooms in, in the entire team. What, what, do you, what have you found from your teammates on the offensive line? Uh, you know, all of us, we have different personalities, but uh, we have the same goal, and that's to win and come out and compete and uh, be dominant. Um, I'm, I'm excited to, to work with these guys, man. The mentality everybody have and um, the goals everybody want to accomplish is, is very exciting. Now, Damian Lewis has demonstrated for us his ability to sing. Um, have, have you heard him sing yet? I have not. This is news to me. I'm going to have to go talk to him. <laughs> he does. He's belted it out a little bit. We got him to do it on the radio. So he's oh, he, he don't 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 let him pretend to be too shy. And and as he explained it to us, he can sing, not just oh, no. sing. He can sing. He, he he got some explaining to do, and then he got a uh, we got to have a little competition. Then ooh, are you a good singer? Can, can you sing? Hey, I can do a little something, something. A little something, <laughs> something versus sang. Okay. Well, if you could sing any song right now, what song would it be? Uh, that's hard. I, I can't put a finger on it. I, I just love good music. That's uh, You know what? That's a good answer. That's a very good answer. Who's the strongest offensive lineman? Uh, I don't I don't know. Um, I've I, I weight room. I, I don't I haven't seen about a max out and all that. But uh, I don't know. It would be a good competition to see who the strongest. What would be the best way to determine it? Would it be bench pressing or would it be squats? So like, how, how, how would you determine like, who's the ultimate strong guy in the room? Uh, I don't know. Because, <laughs> I mean, it can be upper body, lower body, grip strength. Uh, it just depends. I guess a uh, total body strength. Who's got the best sense of humor? Who's the biggest practical joker among your offensive linemen? Oh, I might have to say myself. Yeah? I might have to. What's an example? So I can't give you a lot of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we were dealing with a rookie. We thought we were going to be able to get Gabe to give us. He's not going to. He's not going to give that up. That's, hey, that's absolutely. Maybe somewhere down the line, but not right now. I got to get them all out first. <laughs> <laughs> you getting to know your quarterback that that relationship. What have been your impressions of Russ so far? Uh, it's been great, man. He's a he's a great leader. Um, he's he's very in tune with the offense and. Um, you know, talking to us about what he like and explaining to us what he sees to, to help us do our job better. And, um, I mean, he's just he's a great guy to be around. It's definitely got to be a different experience because, you know, with Derek Carr, he's getting the ball out, I would imagine, rather quickly. But with Russ, you might end up on a certain play blocking for like five, six, seven seconds as he's running around and behind you doing figure eights and such. I mean, hey, it's our job. To, if it's one second, or if it's ten seconds, we got to get the job done. So, uh, just got to get it done. Just work. Gabe, it's been really nice to talk to you, and we do. We're grateful for you spending the time with us this morning. I know training camp can be a grind. It's great to get to meet you, and, man, we're really looking forward to watching you play this year. Thanks so much. Hey, man, I appreciate y'all, and thank y'all for having me, man. All right, that is Gabe Jackson. He is your uh, new guard here for the Seattle Seahawks. He's got a great laugh, man. Yes. <laughs> I will say that. Hearing his laugh was absolutely fantastic. He joined us there on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. Talk a little more baseball. The Mariners, three games back of a playoff spot. We'll get inside the standings. That's coming up next.
You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Hopefully we will be reminiscing on 2021 as the year that the Mariners break the playoff drought. Wow, Paul, knowing music, making a reference like that, that's why they pay you the big bucks. It's incredible, Danny, to see the way that things are unfolding for Seattle in the wild card side of things. We touched on this earlier in the week, you know, making some comparisons to 1995, where it was one team, it was the Angels who collapsed and the Mariners went on that hot streak at the end of the year. But right now, and it's early and there's still plenty of time left, you're seeing a couple of teams all of a sudden just hit a wall. First off, Boston, who has, after having a 10.5 game lead on the New York Yankees, seen it completely evaporate. Now they're a game behind New York. You've seen the Oakland A's lose their last four games, and Oakland's schedule ahead of them after a series that they just had against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, check that. They have one last game, but they've lost three games to the White Sox. They have a lot of tough games left the rest of the way. And also the Toronto Blue Jays have lost a couple. So now the Mariners are, at least percentage point-wise, the last team out because Oakland and Boston are tied for that second spot. When you have multiple teams like this, it becomes tougher to gauge like actual odds. You've got five teams for two spots. And then you can throw in sort of the, the longer shot of Seattle winning the division. The reason that's a longer shot is not just because Houston is more out in front, but because Houston and Oakland are going to play each other, mm-hmm. and one of those teams is going to win those games, right? Like it makes it those sort of situations make it harder to catch because you're guaranteed to have one of those teams. You're not able to pick up ground on them even if you win that game. Correct. But you try and calculate. Okay, how well is the team playing right now? Oakland has cooled off after having an extraordinary hot streak after picking up Starling Marte. Like they've been they've cooled off and they lost to the 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 Chicago White Sox yesterday. They got beat up in in Chicago. Boston has been in a free fall. I expect Boston. Boston's better than they played recently. And they'll get Chris Sale back. Like I I I I think I I think that Boston is not as bad as they've looked recently. I think Boston's going to end up being closer to winning the division than they are to losing the wild card, but we'll see. But other teams, like the Yankees, the Yankees have been on fire. They're going to come back to earth here. Like, the Yankees are not going to keep winning at this clip. Well, the good news for the Mariners is that the Yankees play the A's at the end of the month. It's a four-game series, and up next for the A's after this series against the White Sox, no big deal. The also really awesome this year, San Francisco Giants. In fact... Over the next, let's say, before 10 days, before the end of the month, the Oakland A's two easiest games are against the Seattle Mariners. You know, like this is this is a really interesting stretch for them. You're probably right in that New York will cool down. Mm-hmm. But there's a part of me, too, that I've been waiting for this all year from New York. You know, and with Boston, I'm sort of like, I, I can't believe that Boston even got off to the start that they did. I feel like this is maybe more an accurate reflection of Boston and New York and where they actually are and who they actually have as far as their talent. When you have this many teams, I think you end up focusing on how your team is playing more than how another team is doing. And I, I, for me, I chalk this up. I, if the Mariners win two out of three games, and that's, that's a huge ask. If they win two out of three games over this final quarter of the season, they're going to make the playoffs. One way or another, they're going to make the playoffs. It's, th- you can't count on one other team belly flopping because you've got so many teams involved. 
There are going to be examples where those two teams play each other. I think it's going to be on the Mariners. They're going to have to play. They're going to have to win two out of three. I think to be able to catch, they're they're going to need to catch and pass two different teams, right? Yeah, they three will. Different teams. They're going to need to catch and pass three different teams to get into the playoffs. You're going to have to win two out of three. Yep, you're right. That said, though, I I, I can, like right now, I can legitimately see them overtaking Oakland. Because yeah, I would o- agree. Oakland's got another series against the White Sox ahead of them, and they have two series to wrap up the year against the Astros, plus a couple of series more against the Mariners, too. So that team, yeah. It's the other teams that are the question. It's Toronto, too, who is lurking. And while they're not playing great right now and George Springer just got hurt, I mean, we saw on Sunday what those bats can do. They're terrifying. You know, it's not just it's not just Simeon and Vladimir Guerrero and Bichette. They also got uh, Teoscar Hernandez, too. Tasker Hernandez is a fantastic player. Yeah. Like he is absolute and he was he was great against the Mariners. I think they've got the best offense. I think of all these teams in in this in this scramble, the Mariners, they have the worst offense. They also have the youngest offense. And that's right. If I outline a scenario in which they end up making the playoffs, it's not so much about, hey, this team falls on its face. It's about you've got a couple young players that start performing at a level that they just haven't been. And I, I look primarily at I look primarily at Jared Kelnick just because of the talent level. But you got you get a couple players that really start playing above if it's Fraley, I thought Fraley hit the ball pretty sharply last night, didn't get a lot of production out of it. it you you have a couple young players who take who get hot, who who have a blazing month. I think that that's that's the the window that you're looking for the the opportunity. Like, what would happen? What would have to happen for the Mariners to make the playoffs? They'd have to have at least one and probably two of their young players absolutely go on a tear. Raleigh did have the double last night. Mm-hmm. He smacked that one. I agree with you, but I also feel like there are two guys right now that have cooled off and they need to uncool themselves. Mitch Haniger has cooled off. And I would That's say That's definitely true. His his power especially. Yeah. I mean his his average is down too, but his power's really down this month. I actually asked our, our baseball consigliere, Luke Arkins, like, what do you think's been going on with Mitch Hanniger? And he said, I'm assuming it's not health related, maybe a mechanical issue. But he's had cold month before and he expects that he will bounce back by the end of the year. He does need to. Because mm-hmm. there was a time where he was carrying things and right now you're basically hope like doing rain dances for Kyle Seeger. Yes, Kyle Seeger is. Give him credit though; he's played well. This. Yeah, he's hits with some tremendous power. You've gotten great power from him this season. He's his average has been has dipped significantly. Where he's not the two sixty with power guy right now; he's the two twenty with power guy. Ty France hitting for an extraordinary average and doesn't strike out. You're going to need a couple guys to step up into that void. And if Hanniger gets hot again, that'd be fantastic. It's Danny and Gallant, seven ten ESPN Seattle. Brock Heward's going to join his join us next. Should Russell Wilson play Saturday night's preseason game? He might want to. We'll listen to Russ and see if we really believe he wants to play in that game against Denver. Don't go anywhere.